once again, I'm in Memphis, and I'm sitting here with Johnny Ross, the great Johnny Ross. How are you, Johnny? I'm good. I'm good, Marco. How are you? I'm good. That's good. Great. You are one of the hardest working musicians that I know. Have you been keeping up that pace? Yes, I have. It's, it's intense. You got any more intense now. <laughs> because? Because uh, I'm ready. I want to do everything I can while I can. Do you feel that pressure? No, I don't feel the pressure. It's just that I'm getting more and more in demand now. All the traveling I do, I know so many people now, too. They just want me here, they want me there. And so it's hard for me to say no. Mm -hmm. Tell me about how you first got into music. Well, it's a song called I Was Born to the Blues. Ever since I can remember down in Mississippi, we uh, went to the woods with cans and sticks and played on cans and stuff and just developed from there and the high school band started in 64 and I tried to get in somehow or another I managed to mingle in in the fifth grade and got in playing clarinet and from there went on and on you know to saxophone and trumpet and different instruments keyboards and well I didn't know that yeah that's me playing on a lot of my records Okay, so it's not just a guitar. No, it's not just a guitar. And and you can still play it? Yeah, I can still play it, but I don't blow horn anymore, you know, because that seems to be a little hard on me now. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about growing up. Where did you grow up and what was... Down on the Gulf Coast of Mississippi, Gulfport, Hattiesburg area, in a little town called Purvis, Mississippi, which I still have a home now that's been under construction for like, 20 years, but we're getting to the end of it now. And, and do you have family down there still? Oh, yes. My brother, cousins, and stuff like that. And what kind of community? Was it a farming community? No, or? it wasn't a farming community. This was a, the Gulf Coast is a beach area, like seaport work. There okay. wasn't any farming down there. Right. What did your dad do? My dad was a bootlegger. Really? Yeah. Wow. Jack Rawls, he was a bootlegger. So that would mean that he was... Illegally selling, selling whiskey. And I was drinking whiskey at the age of six. <laughs> so you have a good taste for it. Well, not... not I, don't drink, <laughs> I haven't drank or smoke in 30 years. Really? Really. What made you quit? Uh, I was getting too much, too freely. All my friends were giving me a lot of drugs, a lot of... Alcohol, just every city I go to, hey Johnny, welcome here. I got something for you, you know. It went on. I'm like, I'm gonna kill myself. So I quit everything. Was that an easy thing? You know, I have a lot of willpower. When I make up my mind to do something, that's it. She so just said one day, this is enough. That's, that's it. One day I said, Am I gonna have to get high the rest of my life? You know, and then I just quit. Did, did that, was it connected music at all? In terms of getting high and getting comfortable on stage, it had nothing to do yeah, with that? Yeah, well, it did. Yes, it did, because when I stopped getting high, the first time I played not high, I was really afraid. Right. Would I be able to get into the groove? But I got into a better groove, you know? Yeah. But I was afraid at first, because I had never played not high. Even when I was young, we would drink wine, you mm -hmm. know, so I had never played that high. So here I am, like, 38, maybe 38 or 40, and then my first time playing that high. That was you know, that strange? It was real strange. 
But then later on the music taken over and gave me the high and gave me the groove, you know. And it's also difficult in that in your situation when you're playing a lot of bars or people constantly buying you and offering you stuff. Oh, constantly, man. But they know now that I don't do that, so they don't offer. You and know. Do you think you're a better musician because of it? Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. I'm a better person and a better musician because of it. You know, people say it don't make a difference, but it makes a big difference in how you think mm-hmm. in everything. You know, one night, I mean, when I first started getting high, a while after, it was this girl dancing on the floor, you know. She was really sexy and dancing, really, you know, exotic-like. And I walked over to the bass player while we played, and I said, now, when I was high, I would have got her. <laughs> but see, I wasn't high, so it didn't affect me right. as much. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So musically, so you you grew up in the South. How did you decide to become a musician? Well, I didn't decide. The blues chose me. I didn't see. This is the thing, Marco. I didn't decide anything. I just love what I do, like I do today. I love music. I'm not in music for money. I'm not in the music for publishing. Although I have it, and you need it, I'm not in. I'm in it because I love it. That's why I'm in it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm not in it for any other reason. But if you're not making money, it's not a good job to be in. But, but Ma, what I'm saying to you, if you do a great job and put out great songs, which you know I do, mm-hmm. that's why people book me. That's why fans come to hear me to hear particular songs that they love through the years. And I write great songs because I love what I do. So when you write great songs and you have a following, you don't have to worry about money. You don't ever have to worry about that. Right. When you don't have a great song, a great show, then you got a problem. You got a serious problem. It was a guy last night from New York City. Told me, he said, Johnny, you working much? He said, man, you got to have a gun to get a job in New York. You know what I mean? I don't need that. I got shows booked in 2018 already. If you look at my schedule, it's nonstop. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't have to sit on the phone calling everybody all day to get a gig either. But it's taken a long time to get to that point. Taking a long time. Long time ago, you were a musical director for Ovi Wright. Tell me how you got that job. Well, through my high school band director, Carl Gates, when I was in the ninth grade, tenth grade. He asked me to play in his band as a saxophonist. And he was a saxophonist. He was the guy that started me in the music and taught me everything I know. And we would play behind artists like ZZ Hill, O.V. Wright, Little Johnny Teller, Jimmy Hughes, Willie Hightower. They would come through the area and we would follow them. We would follow them through the whole South. You know? Mm-hmm. So we we were the band for all these artists that would come through the South touring, you know. And what did you learn from that experience? I learned to get paid before you play. <laughs> See, more than love of music. No, no, no. Ovi Wright taught me that. Right. But see, there was a different situation. I still loved the music, but what I'm saying, we've been stranded at times. See, in the Chitlin Circuit, they were notorious 
for not paying you the rest of your money. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So that would happen a lot of times. How tough was the circuit? It was good, man. Yeah? Like Listen, how, I, mean, how tough? I made more money when OB right back then than I make now. In the early 70s. I made more money with OB right than I make now as an established artist. Because of Ovi, because of the economics, because of... Well, everything was cheaper, and Ovi was a real star. Mm-hmm. And we were making big money, and he was paying me really well. You know what I mean? We could play two nights. This was in the seven, I could get home with like $4,000 after I paid the band. You know, because we were on huge shows. Like a, Back then, Ovi Wright, B.B. King, Johnny Taylor, Tyrone Davis... We'd have two shows at the Mid-South Coliseum or the Auditorium in Jackson, two shows sold out, like 10,000, 20,000 people a show. Right. But it ain't like that now for blues now. No. But back then it was big like that. Okay, so, so you were in this band, and how did you wind up becoming the musical director? Okay, my, my band director in Mississippi, that my mentor, the mm-hmm. Car Gates, right. O.V. called him and said he needed a band. He called me and Milwaukee and said, O.V. need a band. And my reputation was already established through Mississippi with all the artists, you know. And so O.V. called me in Milwaukee and we talked for about a month. And then we hooked up and we were together till he died. And you had no interest of being out on your own? I was on my own then. Oh, okay. But I was doing shows in between you know, OV shows. And I was opening on his show, you know. I was opening on his show. But I had records out then, but I was doing stuff in between. He, his, when I got with him, he was first priority. Mm-hmm. And then if he had a week or so off, whatever, I would book me something in between there. Was there always a plan for you to be a solo artist? You know, Marco, nothing was, yeah, I had planned that. Because I looked at the other artists, you know, and I looked at the guys like Willie Hightower and Jimmy Hughes and ZZ Hill and all. I looked at them and I said, now, I like what they doing. I like the way they dress. I like the way people act when they walk on stage. I know, you know, he's like, okay, well, we made $50 and they gave ZZ Hill $1,000. I said, I think I won't be on there and get the $1,000 and don't want to be on the end to get the $50. Mm-hmm. So I said, now I can make a record just as good as they can. So I went to the studio, started making my own records. And did you make a good record? As good I as made a good, my first record was a good record. I have it right today. My first 45, my first album. It's a good record. And what was it like when you when Ovi passed away? We was on a tour in, uh, Alabama, Georgia. We were on tour with everybody, with Abba King, B.B. King, everybody. And we did a show in Alabama, and he started getting, he would have died in the back seat of the car if we hadn't pulled him, put him, took him to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was he really sick or was he Yeah, he sick? was really sick. He had, he had open heart surgery. Mm-hmm. He had a valve in his heart. And he would drink a lot, take a lot of pills, uh, shoot dope, you know, whatever, take aspirin, you know, whatever. He didn't want to live. Oh, he didn't? He didn't want to live. We were going down the road, and um, Ronald Reagan became president. 
O.V. raised up in the back seat of the limousine and said, I know that man ain't the president. And then he raised up again later on and said, I wish I was dead. He said, I wish I was dead. Wow. Yeah. He wanted to die. What else did you learn from him? I learned soul, man. I learned emotion from O.V. I learned being on the stage with him, watching all, watching all his records touch millions of people's lives. When he sang, hundreds of women would stand in front of the stage and cry. I never seen that before. I haven't seen it even now today that a man could sing a song with so much emotion mm-hmm. till people would just cry. They would holler, you know? And I learned from him, and I was talking to Eddie Floyd last night. Those guys know how to write a song. That's an art that's dead now. Mm-hmm. Totally dead. You know? And I'm glad that I, I knew, I learned from them. And I'm glad I got it all to myself. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because when people hear my records, they go like, wow, this is the real shit, the old school stuff. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's why when I recorded a red Cadillac once, it went straight to number one. I recorded again on a Tiger K CD, it went straight to number one. Now I remind you, this is not Alligator Records. This is not Motown Records. This is my record label. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I'm not in the in the clique with the boys. I'm in a clique by myself. That's your choice, though. That's my choice. Why why choose to do it? Just so you maintain control? or Yeah, I like creative control. But you know I produced like 30 records for JSP Records. You remember that? Mm-hmm. I produced like 30 artists. I found them, produced them, everything. And I had this record I named Lucy. It was a hit. And I asked John Stedman, say, man, instead of me producing these people that ain't doing nothing, take this money and put it into Lucy. Because Lucy is a smash hit everywhere I go, people love it. He decided not to do it. So I said, well, if the only thing he gonna do is record me, hell, I can record myself. But there is the other side of being, putting out a record, which is becoming a record company and the work that's associated to that, whether it be just mailing stuff out or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then that takes away from your time of being an artist. No, no, don't take away my time. Don't take away my time. It's done like that. When you know what you're doing, it's done like that. I know every. Well, I can go to the library right now, I know everybody here. Everybody here know me. From all the states, all the different countries. You know me from Canada. Mm-hmm. Everybody know me. So when I go, when I send this shit out, I'm done with it. <laughs> I, got, I got one big bulk mail, like 500 <laughs> CDs to send out in one bulk. Okay, but I hear a lot of artists complain about taking on the role of the record company and them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. So as far as you're concerned, it's just one little task. No, what I'm saying to you is they're not, they didn't go to every city, they didn't go to every town, they didn't go to every country and make people know them and like them. Mm -hmm. They went nowhere, they done nothing. So it's very hard for them to get a response. It's like fishing without a bait on your hook. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. There's nothing to bite at. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah. Nothing to bite at. 
Okay, so Obi passes away. You decide that you're going to now continue with your solo career. Right. Was right. that a difficult decision? No, it was It was a no-choice decision. Right. No, it wasn't difficult. See, music is what I do, and that's, that's just the bottom line. There's nothing else to do. I didn't take a, you know, like a major and a minor, you know, in college. I, I had one option, music only. You know, I, what, how they say in college, well, what is your major? Well, what is your minor? I had no major or minor. I had music only. Did you ever question that? Was it ever a time when you thought, uh, maybe I should do something else? No. Never? No. So you never gone through a hard time and all? Oh, I went through terrible hard times. I went through some hard times. I had to go fishing to try to feed my band. We was hungry, we didn't have no money. Did you have bait? I, didn't, I had 50 cents to get some shrimp down in Gulfport. I was going fishing to try to feed my band. And my motor had blew up on top of that. But the next week, I would tour with B.B. King and never looked back since. And why do you think that is? How was that 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 happened? Because people I know. You know, this man knew my sister. With Perry Payton from Greenville, he started B.B. King and all of them out. And he was managing me and O.V. and all of us. And O.V. died, and then things felt really bad for me. But I was still playing around. And so I had my band down in Gulfport. My motor blew up, and I had like five people with me in a trailer and all this shit. I had $5, and I went to a show, and, and the lady told me, said, you're not playing here tonight. And I talked to Perry, and he, he got me with B.B. B. King the next week. And so I met this guy in Jackson. We went on two-week tour with B.B. King. I met this guy in Jackson. He said, if you get me to see B.B. King, I'll hook you up. I'm the manager. I own Holiday Inn. I said, oh, yeah. And then he's, and I took it. I said, B.B., this guy want to meet you. You know, I took him back there to meet B.B. King. And the guy said, go, go over to my hotel. Stay long as you want. He had a Holiday Inn resort. And so we weren't at the truck stop hotel no more. Not Shit changing now. <laughs> shit started changing right then. Really? Yeah. Like, Just like that. So I'm at, the, I'm at the truck stop hotel now. Now I'm at the Holiday Inn, as long as I want. He's oh yeah, by the way, uh, when you're not playing with B.B. King, you can play here anytime as long as you want. So things are changing now. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, but how do you maintain that? How do you keep it changed? By just keep going, man. Just keep going. When you're out there, one thing leads to another. You know what I'm saying? When you're out there, one thing leads to another. You just be in a world playing somebody say, hey, you do, do you do weddings? Do you do, you know, it just happens if you're out there and have no intentions on ever coming back to do, any, to do your minor. You know, who you want to follow on your minor? Right. I have no minor. I have just music. But ever since then, Things have been just going smoothly. Yeah, but it's hard work, though. Mm -hmm. It's hard work. And it's constantly changing. How do you how do you view the changes? And like the music has changed so much. Yeah. Uh, the the industry has changed so much, uh -huh. especially in the last right, five right. years. Right. You're right. You're right. Has how does knowing the way you do things has that changed the way you do things? Yeah, change. It don't change my music. It don't change my method of traveling consistently. 
but it changes the music industry, the marketing industry changes. For us from cassettes to albums to CDs now to downloads and Spotify. See, now I gotta make another change now. You know, because I used to sell a lot of CDs. They don't sell as much no more because everybody download now. Right. So I'm getting paid from downloads, but now I got to change and modify that now. Because I presume the downloads aren't giving you the same in- income as the CDs used to. Well, no, most people download. Okay. Downloads is good. Spotify is not. Spotify, but listen, Spotify will pay. I had on my one song, I had over 700,000 hits on Born to the Blues. You know? See, a lot of people doing that stuff now, so that didn't change. Right. So now I got to get I got to get all that in my control now. So for the, for the time that I've known you, I think you've consistently released an album a year. I don't mm. know if you're still doing that, but I mm. think you have. Oh, yeah. And that philosophy still maintains the same, like you just yeah. do an album and then go on the road. Yeah. I don't ever come off the road. I don't ever come off. Like how many gigs would you have done last year or the last 12 months? I don't know. I have no idea. Just look at the schedule. I don't even, I just, I, I just keep my calendar full all the way through. Just keep it full. Is there a home? Yes. I have a home in Wisconsin. I have a home in the Mississippi. I have health insurance. I have dental insurance. I have a new car. I have cars. I own shit. <laughs> No, but if you're on the road, I, I live a good life. Well, I know what you do. Yeah. But if you're on the road constantly, mm. is is home wherever you land? That no, place? no, 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 no. I have a home in Wisconsin. Okay. But how often do you get there? Well, I just left there. No, I just left New York. I don't get I don't get anywhere a lot, man. I don't get home too much. You know, when I get there, I be there. You know, but I don't. I'm just a road man. You know, I may stay there a week. Right. And then now you're just you itching know, to go? I may be, I may stay in, I may stay at my house in Milwaukee two months out of a year. But not at one time. Right. You know, a week here, I got, you know my daughter Destiny, I know you, my, you know my daughter Destiny, she sings. Well, anyway, I got home one day and I was leaving the same day. She said, wait a minute. You just got here, right? I said, yeah. She said, you leaving today? I said, yeah, I'm leaving today. See, I have things to do, man. I'm producing records. I'm, you know what I mean? I'm performing. Is there, I would presume that there's a price to pay for that. The price to pay for everything, Marco. You right. know that, right? Yeah, yeah. Price to pay for everything. There's a consequence for everything we do. You know what I'm saying? The price, I take my grandkids on, all my kids and grandkids, I take them on two festivals a year. The whole family, I take them with me. They live in Wisconsin, so I take them to Minnesota or Michigan or somewhere. A Chicago Blues Festival. You know, they enjoy that. Right. How big is this family? It's big. <laughs> Are we renting a bus for this? No, no, it'd be like a caravan. Right. You know, like SUVs <laughs> and shit, you know what I mean? SUVs, kids, you know. Then I get them on the stage with me. It'd be a lot of fun. So the last time I saw you, you were playing with Otis Clay. Yeah. Tell me about that relationship. Well, man, it was like 
He was so good to me, man. I miss him so much, you know. And he was just such a good man, you know. And we, we worked so good together, you know. Mm-hmm. And we hung out together, you know, in Chicago. We hung out together. We always rode around and went to different places and sang, sit in and sang. And, you know, he was just a wonderful person, man. And I had, I'm glad I had the opportunity to record with a legend mm-hmm. such of his caliber and learn something from him. You know, when we met backstage, the thing that struck me the most was how much respect you had for him. Oh, yeah. Definitely, man. I mean, almost to a point where it was like a a thing I'd never seen before. Because I think you have the confidence and you have... Right. You have this thing about you, Mm -hmm. right? But when when standing next to him, it was a different you. That's right. You know why? Because there's no one else for me to respect like that. Mm-hmm. There's no one else I know that was on Soul Train with the number one record, trying to live my life without you, which Bob Seger taken and ran away with another way with it and gave him no love or no respect. Bob Seger was in Canada singing that song. You know, that's old as hit, trying to live my life without mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. So, Bob Seger was doing a show in Canada, so was Otis, and they invited Otis over. Thousands of people. And said, Otis, he got, Bob Seger got ready to sing the song, Trying to Live My Life Without You. He said, I'm going to do an old Memphis song. He didn't say, Otis Clay is backstage, the guy that made me interested in this song. And then Bob Seger told Otis that many eagles heard that song together. And the eagles, you know, in the long run, listen to that song. The Eagles stole the groove from that in the long run from trying to live my life without you. He, they, the Eagles told him, we're going to make a version of it, we're going to change the lyrics. And they made it in the long run off of that. Am I correct to assume, though, that maybe Bob covering Otis's song profited Otis in some way, though? Like no, it was a good thing no Otis didn't write that. Oh, he didn't write it? No. So he would have seen no money from it. So no money from it. But he saw no money and he got no respect from it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know the guy that wrote that song uh, from Jackson, Mississippi? He wrote all the hits. He wrote Down Home Blues. What's his name? George, George Jackson. Jackson. George Jackson. Have you heard him? I, I have through his songs, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Him. Oh, yeah, man. He wrote Old Time Rock and Roll, Down Home Blues. He was like all over the place. He wrote songs for Aretha Franklin and everybody. So he's done well. Yeah, well, he's dead now, but he done well while he was here. <laughs> he done well while he was here. Yeah, that's good, though, man. All good. But there's only one way, Marco. That's the highway. You know what Carlton Corbeck is? No. You don't know what that's at? Carlton no. Corbeck? Oh, sorry, Carlton Corbeck. Right. That's, that's right. You been there? No, I haven't. No, I don't. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I've been there. You've been everywhere. You, you've been to Nova Scotia, Canada? I have been to Nova Scotia, yes. I've been all over there playing. All over there. It's good. Yeah, it's a great place. A very <laughs> musical place, too. Mm-hmm. Very musical. And the man told me, he said, don't be, feel bad because they're not going to dance. I said, they're going to dance tonight. <laughs> I said, I guarantee they're going to dance tonight. He come up to me and said, they never danced before. 
I think they never had a groove before. You got to give them a groove. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I've seen you. I've seen we you. We got to give them a groove, man. But it's all good, man. I'm just here doing what I'm doing and loving it. I love it more now. I love it more now than I did back then. Why? Because it's just me. It made me feel good when people come up to me and say, John, I love this song. I want you to play for my wedding. I want you to sing this song. I'm at my funeral. That made me feel good to know that my songs are getting through to people. And it's not just another one, four, five, and G. <laughs> you know what I've been in Redwood City, California, and I brought to my bass player attention that all the shuffles they play. When I got there, I was a little late. My bass player said, Johnny, I counted them. They done played 23 shuffles straight. You know what a blues shell feels mm -hmm. right. So that means there was no change, no variation, which makes which make it good for me. Because when I come on the stage, the whole groove changed. They got a groove now. Mm -hmm. But a shuffle, see, that would make blues not interesting. You know, when you go to a festival and they're playing all the same thing. That's why I like guys like Paul Benjamin and Roger Neighbors. They know how to really mix the entertainment up. You know, with Zydeco, blues, rock blues, soul, you know what I mean? Yeah. Are you are you hopeful for the future of the blues? Oh, yeah, the blues is big, man. Blues you're not, is big. You're not concerned about it? No, I'm not concerned about it. Not at all. Blues, man, young kids, everybody love blues, man. It's big. Right. It's big. Big. Even though the the age group is old, getting older. No, they got a lot of young, a lot of young fans. Yeah, that's what lot. you're seeing out there. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of them, especially in the Midwest. Especially in the Midwest, you right. know, and in the far in like the East, like over in D.C. and Maryland and Delaware. They, you know, the baby boomers are still there, though. You know, I look at them sometimes. I go like, well, you know what I mean. <laughs> I look at them sometimes when I say Marco they don't hurt so much <laughs> <laughs> or maybe they hurt a lot more yeah but the young girls they don't hurt so much <laughs> so what are you working on these days I got it believe it or not I got a new album coming out this this summer called Waiting for the Train Waiting for the Train and you know you know, I told you my dad was a bootlegger, right? Mm -hmm. He was a tough guy. So on the CD cover, I'm going to be standing by the Sunset Limited, which he went to California on, like in 62 or something like that. And on his way to California, he met this lady. He was going to Los Angeles to stay with my sisters and brothers after divorcing from my mom. You know, he was a tough guy. Mm -hmm. And so he met this lady on the train, so he never made it to Los Angeles. He stayed with this lady in Santa Rosa for like six or eight months, and then he went to Los Angeles. Go Pops. <laughs> yeah. So life is good. Life is good, man. I want to thank you for spending some time with me. Thank you, always. Let me ask you if you have a rule that you live by. My rule I live by is love what you do 
and live while you're living and do everything you can and don't put it off. Do everything you can, live while you're living. I got a song called Live For Today. Because tomorrow may never, you may not see tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And don't sleep all the damn time. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny, it's always a pleasure. Thank you, brother. Thank you, man. Thank you.